Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. We are building a community of investors who are interested in acquiring real assets that produce real cash flow. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. For me, the team and their track record is probably two of the most important things. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the asset class is. Yeah, I I like to look at the asset class and make sure that it's going to withstand a downturn in the economy, a recession, some of those things. But I'm looking at the team. I'm looking at the track record. That's coming right up. But first, I want to introduce TribeVest, our show sponsor. I have Travis Smith here, the founder and CEO. Travis, you know I'm a fan of your platform and I'm a member in four different tribes. In fact, I like the platform so much, I'm also an investor. Can you share some of the ways you think TribeVest can help build wealth for passive investors? Thanks, Jim. Well, as you know, we've built a platform that empowers people to easily and safely form investor tribes. If you're a part of an investor tribe, you can participate in deals that maybe you wouldn't or couldn't on your own. And I think that's why TribeVest is so popular amongst passive investors. Think about it. Deals start at 25000 but I've seen investment minimums as high as $100,000 or even $200,000. And I don't care who you are. Those are big checks to be writing as a solo investor. But as a tribe, each member can drastically lower their capital requirement and spread the risk on the deal. Or another way to look at it is where maybe as a solo investor, you might invest in one deal, but with your tribe, you could invest in five, maybe 10 deals. You can think of tribe investing as a wealth building experience with the people you know, like, and trust. If there are left fielders who are interested in learning more, please have them check out tribevest.com or reach out to me directly. Jim. We are thrilled to be a part of Passive Investing from Left Field and excited to listen to your interview with this week's guest. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the left field community. This is Josh McCown from Capital Hacking, and you're listening to Passive Investing from Left Field with Jim Piper. This is the most important thing you can listen to today. Okay, today we are uh, grateful to have Dave Zook, the real asset investor with us. He got started in real estate and syndications to fix his tax problem, which he'll tell us a little bit about. Now he's one of the top 10 ATM operators in the country. He's involved in self-storage, some carbon investments, debt validation, all kinds of interesting things. He's raised almost $250 million in equity since 2015. And he and I met at the Secrets of Successful Syndication event in Dallas a few years back, and I I do invest in several of his deals. Dave, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Good hearing your voice. And uh, that Secrets of Successful Syndication is coming right up again in March uh, next month. So 
I don't know if you're going to be there, but I plan to be there. And uh, I forgot that's where we first met. Yeah, that's always I've only been there once and I, I keep wanting to go back and it just hasn't fit into my schedule again. But I definitely I'm not going to this one in March, but I definitely will go again. It's a great place. Not when I went there, I thought I was going to become a syndicator. And when I left, I realized I was going to become a passive investor. And that's where I met a lot of the people in my network, including you. And I think I, I jumped into a couple of deals with you right away. And, and since then, I've, I've done some others as well. So I agree. It's a great seminar. It is. One of the things I really appreciate about those guys is not only the content that they bring, but I also appreciate the group of people that they attract. You were there. You know, you know this. Uh, you know, the type of people you run into at their events, that's what keeps me coming back. Yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic. So can you start just by telling us a little bit about your journey, how you got into this, maybe where where you came from and how you got into syndication and just real estate investing in general? I know I mentioned in the open that uh, it was to fix a tax problem. Can you start maybe even before there, how you kind of found out about it? Yeah, so I was an entrepreneur for as long as I can remember. My dad is a very successful businessman. I kind of grew up in an entrepreneurial family, grew up in the family business. I watched my dad invest in real estate, and I soon figured out that that was not a path that I was going to go down. He self-managed some of his single-family homes, so I was very intentional. I was never going to be a real estate investor. And so I invested in businesses, and I founded a couple of them. I partnered with some folks, and I got involved at a very early age in several different businesses and got to the point where some of those businesses kind of took off and, and I started making a lot of money and got myself in a position where my tax bill was around 500 grand, half a million dollars a year. And I remember hearing Robert, Robert Kiyosaki talking about how you could make you know, millions of dollars a year and pay no tax legally. And of course, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and I got to really studying his teaching and, and getting around the right folks and soon realized that investing in real estate is not only a good way to build income streams and all that, but it can be a, a really good tax protection vehicle, specifically when you can use strategies like bonus depreciation, cost segregation studies. So I went down this path and I bought several hundred units of multifamily apartments. And my very specific goal was to get myself in a position where I could control my tax liability and, and get that tax bracket from 37% down to you know single digits. So I went from paying a half million dollars in tax one year to paying zero federal income tax the, the next year. And since that, my federal income tax bracket has been somewhere in the zero to 3% range. And it's it's been by changing, it, it happened by changing the way I invest and changing the way I do business. Can you talk a little bit about what changes you made? I mean, is it just the bonus depreciation? Because it seems like to get from 500,000 to zero, you got to really be pretty aggressive and, and really understand how to decrease your taxes. So can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the some of the specifics that you did? Yeah. And, and just to be clear, this all happened while I quadrupled and more my income. So, you know, just to be clear, you, you don't want to conventional CPA might tell you that, hey, if you make a lot of money, you've got to pay a lot of tax. So what's the opposite of that? Well, okay, I gotta make I gotta quit making so much money. No, that's that's not what we're doing here. And that's not what, what I'm what I'm recommending. But no, that, that first year, 
I was very intentional, got to got myself in a position where I could legally claim real estate professional status. And then I went out and bought several hundred units, apartments, uh, apartment units on my own. And I used bonus depreciation and cost segregation studies. And so I was, I was able to create huge paper losses. For those of your audience that, do, that don't understand cost segregation studies, it's really just pulling 27 and a half year depreciation schedule forward to the first one to one to three years or one to five years. And so by doing that, you're creating these huge losses and you're accelerating your depreciation. So that's, that's how I, I went from 500 to zero. That's great. So there's been some discussion in our uh, left field investors group about, you know, perhaps some tax changes and tax law changes. So when you did this, was this before the bonus depreciation was allowed you to bring everything into year one? Because the question really is, if they do change the tax law and bonus depreciation, where it all comes up to year one, goes away, it's still possible to generate massive tax benefits from investing in real estate. Would you agree? It is. Yeah. I mean, I usually say all I got to know is, uh, you know, look, at the end of the day, there's always going, going to be opportunity for you to take control of your tax liability. There's always going to be something out there where you can do that. Some of it in the last couple of years under the tax law that we were living under was it was very kind to business owners, entrepreneurs, real estate investors. And so I would expect to see some of that change in uh, you know over the course of the next couple of years. But I'm not worried because I know that there's still going to be plenty of opportunity to offset my tax liability. I just got to know the rules. If I know the rules, then I can adjust and and you know adjust my strategy and play the game according to the rules. But I will play the game and there there will be plenty of opportunities for us to control our tax liability. Okay, that that's good. So then you bought some multifamily assets to help with your tax situation, but now you've Past couple of years, you, you've sold those multifamily. Is that correct? I've been selling. I sold five or six complexes over, um, well, last year. I was actually supposed to have a closing yesterday on a 92-unit apartment building just south of Memphis. And it got pushed back because of the, the nasty weather that happened uh, down there. Uh, they've got snow and ice and, you know, single-digit weather that, uh, you know, that, that city is not built for that kind of weather. But so our closing got pushed back to Monday, but yes, we've been selling. So what's the thought behind uh, selling your multifamily? What are you getting into instead, and why did you choose to uh, liquidate your multifamily exposures? Several reasons. I've got opportunities that I like better for a number of reasons. I've got opportunities, you know, I've got a handful of opportunities, different asset classes that I feel like there's more margin, more upside opportunity for myself and my investors. So I just made a conscious decision. To, and, and look, I, I like the multifamily space. I own, you know, I plan to uh, hold several of our properties for the longer term. We got good loans in place. We got, you know, everything set up for, for a, a longer term hold. And I'm perfectly, perfectly okay with that. But I most likely here in the next 12 months will sell a good chunk of my multifamily portfolio. Okay. So you are kind of different as as far as a syndicator than most. You you seem to find good operators and partner with them on multiple different asset classes. So can you talk about some of those asset classes for instance the ATMs? That's a big one that you're into. 
Can you tell us a little bit about ATMs and, and why you think that's a good investment? And also, just briefly, kind of how it works for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with it. Yeah, so I just talked about this to an investor earlier today. You know, I was like, hey, this is, you know, this is going to sound really selfish, but it starts with me. I'm out there looking for places to invest my money. And if I find a great deal that I like, that I really like, I'm going to share it with my investors. So that's the approach that I take with any asset class. And, you know, I'm involved in the syndication of right now three different asset classes. But truthfully, I'm investing in at any given time, I'm investing in eight or 10 of them. I'm investing in eight or 10 different sort of asset classes myself. And so some of that can be dipping my toe in the water, seeing if I like the team, seeing if I like the asset class. There may be times when I invest in a deal where I'm just kind of investing my own money to, to kind of feel out the team. Then might be the only deal that I ever do with that team. The next time I may I may get into an asset class and really like the team and and you know the more the longer I'm in the longer I'm investing in that asset class the more I start to like it. You know I was investing in the ATM space for about four years before I brought the my brought it to my investor base. And it never even occurred to me, wow, I was investing passively in ATMs. I was building my multifamily apartment syndication business. Never even occurred to me that I, that I should probably take ATMs to my investors. And eventually, my partners on the ATM side, I was an LP. They were GP. They were, they were watching what I was doing on the multifamily side. I was building a, quite a large network of investors. And they signed on to take down a portfolio, a large portfolio of institutional grade ATM assets. And they reached out to me and said, hey, we could use some help over here. We just signed on to this, you know, the biggest portfolio we've ever signed on to, and we could use some help. And I actually declined at first. I'm busy doing my thing over here. I'm building this business. And then the more I got to thinking about it over the next couple of weeks, the more I got to thinking about it, I was like, wait a minute, this is exactly what I teach. I teach, you know, investing for cash flow. I teach controlling your tax liability, taking control of your tax liability. And, and I love this asset class. So in 2016, I joined the team. I partnered with the guys. And since then, we've scaled. We've got to the point now where we're one of the top five ATM operators in the country. Wow. So I was wrong when I said, well, you're still top 10, I guess. <laughs> you've, uh, you've climbed up the rankings. That, that's awesome. So how does the ATM, I mean, I, I'm in one of your uh, ATM investments from uh, two years ago. It's like clockwork, you know, you never miss a payment. So can you just briefly talk about how that works? You invest and then and kind of because at the end, right, you're left with almost nothing. Yeah. So to that point, I'll go there first. The return on investment, cash on cash return on an, on an ATM investment is 25 and a, you know, 25 ish percent return, cash on cash return. The IRR, internal rate of return is like 19%. So that's totally flipped around from what you would expect from, let's say, a real estate investment. Typically, your cash on cash return is lower, your IRR is higher, because at the end, you when you sell the asset, that's where you get a, a nice bump, and that bumps up your IRR. So the reason it's, it's, it's total opposite is over the seven-year contract period, from an ATM investment, you're losing the value of your ATM. So look at look at this as a real estate play. 
And that's really what an ATM investment is. You're taking a three foot by three foot piece of highly desirable piece of real estate and you're extracting value from that piece of real estate. The ATM is just the mechanism to extract the value from that highly desirable piece of real estate. So it's almost like you're investing in six laptops and the laptop is there doing its thing, helping you extract value from whatever your business or whatever you're doing. And at the end of the seven-year period, what's your laptop worth? A few dollars, maybe. So we we project that at the end of the seven-year period, your ATMs are, are going to be worth somewhere around three thousand dollars to just you know for scrap metal and parting it out. Okay, but then you're during that seven years. Obviously, that's where you're getting that twenty-five percent cash on cash return plus the uh, tax benefits make it even better, right? Well, and and the thing that's really cool about this when you consider that, let's say you get in at the end of the year and you take. You take advantage of the, or you can do it anytime now. We we opened up our bonus depreciation fund. Used to be just right at the end of the year, but now we have it available all year. You can invest in our bonus depreciation fund. You can take a hundred percent write off right up front first year, and when you combine that with, let's say you're a you're a high tax bracket, high net worth individual, and you've got you make that investment, you can write off one hundred four thousand dollars in the first year. And then you add the cash flow from that first full year's distribution, you're getting like sixty or seventy percent of your principal back in year one. And now right. you got another now you got another six years worth of cash flow behind that. So yeah, depreciation is a big part of this deal. I mean it's it's a cash flow investment first, but the depreciation, the tax impact is a nice little bonus that goes right along with it. Yeah, and I I, I don't know if you recall this, but when I first contacted you and wanted to get into the ATM deal. You discouraged me because the only place I had the cash was in my self-directed IRA, and you said that was not a good fit. And I appreciate that in retrospect. And since since then, I've I've gotten into it with my uh, qualified or non-qualified accounts. So this isn't something that is is suitable because of the tax benefits for a self-directed IRA, correct? Well, I wouldn't say it's not suitable because at the end of the day, even without the tax benefits, you're going to make a double-digit return. Okay. The only thing I will say is. When you use self-directed IRA funds to invest in an ATM, you can't take advantage of the tax benefits that come from that investment. So you're you're letting a couple points lay on the table. Right. It's not a bad investment inside of your self-directed IRA. It's just not as good as if you could invest in cash and use gain a couple couple extra points from that depreciation. Because unlike what many of your many of your listeners are or folks that invest in, you know, one of the most popular asset classes over the last decades, multifamily apartment buildings. Unlike them, when they sell their building, they're going to have to recapture all of that depreciation. With an ATM investment, there is no recapture. So when you don't take advantage of that depreciation, it just goes away. And so, right. so you know, you're missing out on some of that benefit when, or all of that tax benefit when you invest in in an IRA. Right. And that's one of the things I learned when I first got into syndications, I was mostly investing in my self-directed IRA. You know, since then, I've learned that there's some assets that are better outside of it than inside an IRA. But if you don't have other funds and you want to invest it, you know, the IRA is an okay place to do that. It's just better other places. Sure. And and if you're not, if you're not in a position and you don't have a, a really good team that's, that's going to get creative for you, team, I'm talking you know, in this case, specifically, a really good CPA, an IRA might be an okay vehicle for you. For me, it's not. 
because I don't need an IRA to offset my tax liability. In fact, an IRA would get in the way of what I'm doing just simply because of what I shared with you. Right. I'm leaving money to lay on the table by, by using an IRA. Another question for Travis Smith, the founder of TribeVest. Travis, I often talk about group investing and how it can ease someone into passive investing because they're investing with other people. Can you talk about the power of groups and how TribeVest can help new investors get started in syndication investing? I love this question because it reminds me of why we started TribeVest. My brothers and I saw real estate as a way to hack wealth without having to give up our day jobs. And despite not having any real estate investment experience, we found confidence as a tribe and that we'd be making decisions together. We were up for the adventure. We valued the idea of learning and growing together. But we had a more obvious problem than lack of experience. We lacked capital. We had good incomes, but didn't have the lump sums of money to break into syndicate investing. We each committed to contributing $500 monthly. And that was our breakthrough. As a tribe, the capital added up fast. And it wasn't long before we had our first experience in true wealth building. We were now part owners of a physician's office building in beautiful Pasadena, California. And we've been building wealth ever since. So yes, TribeVest is a great tool for people to ease into passive investing because it makes it so easy. And it helps you take the most important step the first one. If you start pulling capital, the deals will come. Jim, we realized that if our tribe could do it, any tribe could. By forming and funding our investor tribe, we secured a future we could have never imagined. It really did change our lives. So switching gears a little bit, you mentioned that you invest passively in in different assets and then you once you get to know those assets and like those assets, you bring them to your group. So for me or for, for the listeners, how do you find new asset classes and then how do you vet the sponsors? If you're selling a specific deal, if you're coming to me with a specific asset class and I don't know you and I don't know anybody that knows you, there's a pretty good chance that you're not going to get very far with me. Many times when I'm investing or when I'm getting into or investing my own money into a specific asset class, I'm doing it because I know somebody who's invested with an operator for a long time, or I know the operator. I get around the, you know, you mentioned the secrets of successful syndication by the real estate guys. I get around the real estate guys network a lot. I get around other sponsors. I get around other passive investors. And, you know, we talk. This is a pretty small community. This, this group of investors of ours. And so we, we talk and many times, and even, even the folks that I've invested in and then gone on to promote to my investors, it, oftentimes it started by one of my investors telling me, hey, you should check out this group. I've been investing with them for the last 10 years. And, and, and that happened in the self-storage space. One of uh, one of the guys who I uh, respect introduced me to self storage team, told me all about him, told me he'd been investing with him in you know ten, eleven deals over the last decade, and and so when you can sign it, I mean for me the team and their track record is probably two of the most important things. After after that, I mean 
You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the asset class is. Yeah, I, I like to look at the asset class and, and, and make sure that it's going to withstand a downturn in the, account, in, in the economy, a recession, some of those things. I'm looking at the team. I'm looking at the track record. Okay. So you mentioned self-storage. Can you talk a little bit about that, why that's an asset class that you're excited about? Yeah. So when you look back at that asset class over the last pullbacks in the economy, recessions, even in 2008, I mean, it was, it was the commercial asset class that dipped the least uh, throughout 2008, 9, and 10, and it rebounded the fastest. Normally, when you have a disruption of any kind, you know, think divorce, think, you know, downsizing, think uh, moving, any of those things, that falls right into that asset class. And, you know, typically uh, self-storage shines in any kind of disruption. And we've seen it again in 2020 during COVID. And, you know, it just, it held up very well. You know, even some of the assets that we picked up during you know, the summer and fall of 2020 last year, you know, from the time we went in conservative because nobody really knew what was going to happen and we weren't sure, you know, from the time you put it under contract, you know, what was going to happen over the next, you know, two, three months. And every one of those assets that we put under contract, of course, we got a little discount on it because buyer wasn't sure what was going to happen. The seller wasn't sure what was going to happen. And so that's all baked in the cake. But every one of those assets ended up being better occupied with the NOI being higher when we ended up closing on the property than when we put it under contract. So that kind of shows you a, a little insight of, of how the asset class performed, even right through the heat of COVID. Right. That's interesting. You mentioned that you're you know always looking at new asset classes. What, what's a new one that you're just kind of getting into or just learning about? I believe in the next couple of years, you're going to hear, or actually in the next couple of months, in the next 12 months for sure. But even in the next couple of years, you're going you're gonna to continue hearing about carbon credits. So I've invested, personally, I've invested in several carbon credit deals. So picture this. You got, I don't know, let's say Amazon or, or let's go with GM. GM says that by 2035, they're going to be selling, they're going to be selling mostly electric vehicles and their carbon or their emission, their carbon they're going to be carbon neutral. What that means is, let's say they burn up a thousand tons of carbon per year. If they want to be carbon neutral, they got to go somewhere and buy a thousand tons of carbon credits. So let's say I'm sitting on 2,000 acres of timber down in South Georgia or wherever, and I enroll in the carbon credit program. So now I can sell my carbon credits. I, okay, so, so it's a real estate play. It could be a timber play. It could be a carbon credit play. And you find out and you find ways to monetize that piece of real estate in ways that might have not been possible before. So I think carbon credits is going to be a big deal in the next couple of years. Interesting. So how do you invest in those? You have to find someone who owns, like you said, a trees in in georgia or somebody like but how can a regular person invest in those in those type of assets you'll see funds popping up private placement deals popping up where where promoters are buying big pieces of the timber we're looking right now next week we're planning to to go up to northern pennsylvania and look at a six thousand acre track of land and 
one of the reasons we're going to do that is for the carbon credits. So there'll be different ways that you can do it on an individual level. And I'm sure there'll be different syndicated funds around that'll be popping up here in the in the near future. That's that's, that's awesome. What, what type of returns do you think you get from just the carbon? I mean, you can't harvest the trees if you're going to harvest the carbon credit, right? I mean, there's got to be some trade-off there too. You got to do it strategically. Now you can't come in and just scrape all the trees off and sell everything. You got to, you know, but there are ways that you can do responsible forestry management and maintain the carbon credits. And it's not my specialty. I know some guys who it is their specialty. And so in typical fashion for me, I don't go try and learn the space. I don't go try and, I mean, I, I need to know enough that I know that, okay, this is going to be part of our future. I got to go find the professionals in the space. And then I team up with somebody who who's done that for the last decade or two and has done a really good job at it. That's one of the things I really like about your approach is you don't necessarily have to be in the expert in everything. You're the expert in finding people who are experts in what they do. And that allows you to be diversified by asset class and be in all these different things that people haven't heard of, like debt validation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you're, you're right. And I like to take the 30,000 foot view approach and say, okay, what, what's going on? We got a new administration. You know, what's that going to look like? And then finding opportunities. And once I find that opportunity, now I go find a team. I mean, that's a huge shortcut. You know, I could probably go spend the next six months reading every piece of, you know, every article and every, you know, getting around the right trade shows and getting around the right people trying to figure it out. And I could probably get pretty good at it. But when I can tap into somebody else that's been doing this for the last decade or two, and that's his one thing, much rather, I'd much rather do that. I got too much going on to really, I only got so much time in a day. And I, it's a huge shortcut when you can tap into the professionals who do their one thing. They got the 10,000 hours, uh, like uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about in his book, Outliers. Right. They got the 10,000 hours. They're the professionals. I tap into the professionals and let them do their thing. Yeah, and I think that's that's really smart. I was talking to somebody the other day who, who said he buys shortcuts. So if he finds someone who's doing something better than him or quicker than him, instead of him trying to figure out how to do it, he pays that person to teach him how to do the shortcut, right? And it's the same thing you're doing is, is finding shortcuts to enable you to do more things more efficiently. And I, I, think, that's, I think that's fantastic. So back to the, the debt validation. I heard you talking about that on a podcast and that was pretty interesting. Can you briefly talk about that? Yeah, so there again, there was uh, an investor in my network who had known these guys, this team for the last decade, knew him well. He had vetted this business model Basically, what you're doing is basically what I did is I went in, I invested a quarter million of dollars of my own money first. I went out and visited the team. I, I saw their operation. I looked at live portals. But really what you're doing is you're taking distressed debt bought up by a collection agency, and you were either invalidating that with a team of specialized attorneys, or you're buying that debt for pennies on the dollar and settling with the collection agency. And then you're turning around and getting it to the point where, and you're talking about these, these people are paying, you know, 25 to 30% interest on that debt. So you're taking a typical 
scenario where a consumer is paying, you know, seven or eight hundred dollars a month and principal only, they're never going to get out of that debt. And you're taking it and breaking it down, getting it to the point where it's manageable at say two ninety five a month over three years. And on top of that, we clean up their credit and make sure their credit score is in good shape when they get out from underneath it at the end of three years. So when they get in our program, you set them up with that low monthly payment, 295, 250, 300, whatever, you know, it depends on the amount of their outstanding debt, but you're getting them into a much better position and you're cleaning up their credit score at the same time. Interesting. And so that's another one of those deals where you met someone who had the expertise and you decided to partner with them and they're doing the they're do, kind of doing the, the in, in the weed stuff and you're just kind of directing it. Right on. So we manage the fund and then we got a team of, team of operators that, that we partnered with. That's great. And that's kind of your model for everything, which is, which is why I really like being connected to you is because you always have interesting new deals that, that are able to be invested in like this. Uh, the carbon offset is, is really interesting to me. Is that something you are going to are you testing it out now and then you'll maybe put a syndication together in the next few years or what's the future for that, do you think? Right now, I'm only investing my own money and you know I will continue to do so until we have a really good, until I'm totally 100% comfortable with it and we might have pulled a couple deals off that have worked really well for us. If that happens, you could expect to see some kind of syndication come out of it, yes. But that, awesome. that could be... That could be a year or two down the road. I, I like to really vet out an investment with my own money, put my time in, make sure I know the operators really well. And um, if that all checks out, you might uh, you might hear about me coming out with, a, with a, uh, some kind of a carbon credit deal. A lot of our group are either new to syndications or, you know, they're kind of in the standard type asset classes, multifamily, maybe a little bit of self-storage or, or mobile homes. I'm sure they'll be interested in some of the interesting things that you're doing. One of the big things in our group is, you know, we want to evaluate the sponsor first, as you had mentioned, and then you look at maybe the market and the asset class and the deal. So if the sponsor is the most important thing, and really what your job is, is vetting sponsors, really, that that's kind of what you do. If you were just a person trying to evaluate a sponsor for just a standard real estate syndication type thing? What kind of questions, what are the maybe two top questions or a piece of information you would want to find out about that sponsor? So I want to know about them as individuals and I want to know about the tracker, track record. But see, oftentimes I'm covering those two pieces before I even meet the sponsor, before I even get to have a conversation with because I'm talking to their investors. If you're the sponsor, and for this deal that you're promoting, I'm much more interested in talking to your investors in the past half a dozen deals than I'm talking to you. So, you know, I, I can say all kinds of good things about myself, but what really matters is what are other people saying about me? So that's sort of the approach that I take. Like if you, again, if you, if you cold call me and tell me about this great deal that you have in self-storage and some somewhere in Mississippi, most likely that's going to be a very short phone call. But if you, if I hear about you through my investor group and they start talking to me about, talking to me about how great an operator you are and how much money they've made with you and how long they've been doing it with you and all that, they got my attention. Right. So it all comes back to networking, which again is part of what, you know, my group is, is trying to do. We're, we're mostly focused on networking and education. I think we, we're kind of 
hook up with you in the way that we're our, one of our mottos is, you know, we're buying real assets to produce real cash flow. And I think that's that matches kind of what the real asset investor is all about as well. So it's interesting that I think it all comes back to to the networking, right? You have to have a network where you can vet these people. Yeah, you know, if I'd have been a little smarter, I'd put some kind of Bitcoin fund together back a couple of years ago, but <laughs> that didn't happen. Yeah, too unfortunately. bad. Yeah, that, that is going crazy right now for sure. So the last question I typically ask is, if you could give us a great podcast that you that you listen to, if you're a if you're a podcast listener, I know you're on a lot of podcasts. Do you listen to them as well? Yeah. So one of my favorites is uh, the Real Estate Guys. So you've probably listened to them, and that's where we first Ab- met. But they have a great podcast, and Absolutely, I and I, yes. and I listen to several of them. I you know the Real Estate Guys. Mike Dillard has a good one. There's several out there. Which are probably my probably my top two. Kyle Wilson. That's another one. He has great guests on tours. That's probably my top three. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. This has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, we look forward to talking to you soon and hopefully uh, having that carbon offset deal. I'm, I'm excited about that in the future also. Yeah. And hey, listen, if any of your listeners has any questions on any of the asset classes that we talked about, we have reports written up on them. They can go to our website at therealassetinvestor.com or they can send an email to info at therealassetinvestor.com requesting any of those and we'd be happy to send them a report. Perfect. And is that the best way to contact you if someone wanted to reach out to you? Is that that email? Yes. Perfect. Well, I will, I'll put that in the show notes. And again, thank you very much for coming on. This was fantastic. All right. Thank you, Jim. It was fun. That was an interesting conversation with Dave Zook. He is into quite a lot of different things. I liked that he is focused on the sponsor, finding people that he knows and he likes and he trusts. It's very similar to what we do in Left Field Investors, although he is doing it on a different scale for sure. He's also very much into networking, and that's how he screens a lot of his sponsors and investments is finding people that are already in his network or people that know people in his network. And he looks at the team and the track record. That's the most important thing. Asset class is important, of course, but primarily he's looking at the team and the track record and then the asset. And again, that is similar to how we view things. He's out in the lead in in new assets. He talked about carbon capture. We've been hearing about carbon capture for years, but I'm not sure anybody has really done anything with it or monetized it that I could see, and certainly not on an individual level, maybe with corporations trading the credits back and forth. But now Dave's actively looking for opportunities to profit on this, and I can't wait until he has those in the syndication form where I can invest in that. He doesn't try to be an expert on every asset, and that's also a strength of his. He tries to be the expert on finding other experts. He finds professionals in the space and he vets them, gets to know them, and then lets them do their job. As I said, Dave seems to be the expert in finding experts. I liked how he talked about using shortcuts to use other people's expertise. Again, you're shortcutting the process. There's no reason for me to go re-underwrite a multifamily property as I've talked about before. I want to have somebody else do that and then I just check and make sure they are on the right track. And that's what Dave does with his sponsors. He talked about ATMs, carbon capture, debt validation. Those are all new assets that most people probably don't know about. And I like that a couple of them are also assets that make money for you while helping others. Carbon capture, helping the environment, debt validation, helping people get out of high interest debt. 
So a lot of that is making money and doing good. And if you can do both of those, wow, that's a powerful thing. He mentioned a few podcasts he listens to, the real estate guys. I listen to them as well. The other two was the Mike Dillard Show and Success Habits of Super Achievers with Kyle Wilson. I just wanted to mention those. Again, I really am thankful that Dave decided to come on our podcast. He was a great guest, and we look forward to hearing more from him. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.